0: This morning's reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Do
1: you know, in 1938, Harvard began a study um, on human development, and they wanted to track people all the way through their lives and see what they could learn about. Um, but anyway, so they wanted to, tr- they tracked, uh, they wanted to track, they want to through their lives, see what they can learn about the nature of health and strength and what happens in, you know, about people throughout their lives. How do people flourish? They started with 238 people that were all Harvard sophomore males. They, you know, among the first group actually was uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, Bren Bradley, who was the editor of uh, Washington Post for a long time. Um, Not a very, uh, I don't think they really believed in a random sampling initially, all sophomore males at Harvard, but they had since expanded the study. It's still in existence today, longest running study over 80 years now and they expanded to inner-city Boston to women of all things, imagine that, and uh, over 2,000 people. And the, one of the primary um, uh, findings of the study was the correlation between the closeness and depth of relationships and people's health, happiness, and flourishing, how key relationships are. They actually found that the closest of people's relationships were more, you know, predictive of overall health. and to go what uh, the director said in, in a quote, he said, when we gathered together everything we knew about them at about age 50, it wasn't their middle age cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old, it was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 80 or uh, age 50 were healthiest at age 80. You know, to go on, he said, the surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, uh, is the revelation, he said. And just a little more of a quote from an article, actually from the folks on this this human development study. Uh, They wrote, um, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to del- help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. That finding proved true across the board among both the Harvard men and the inner city participants. Pretty fascinating, huh? let's face it, these aren't really uh, surprising findings, right? It's it's always nice when it confirms, I think, what you would believe to be the case anyway, about how critical relationships are, because we are built to be relational beings. One of our mission objectives is to build a community of people, you know, as a church. It's a key thing you want to do, to build a community which builds, is a context by which you can have relationships. But is simply a community? all that a church is trying to do? Is there something more to it than that? Uh, We are in a, as Nikki mentioned earlier, in a series talking about our vision and mission statements. And the old adage is, vision leaks. (laughs) You have a vision, and unless you keep thinking about that vision, ultimately you will over time, get farther and farther from it, not intentionally, right? Unintentionally. And pretty soon you find yourself reacting to things and in a very different place than you ever intended to be. And so I think it's really important for us as a as a you know community to keep what are we trying to do and what do we want to be doing in front of our eyes and remind ourselves of And for a lot of folks here are new, you know, you also want to talk about it because I <laughs> want you to know what we find to be important, what we prioritize. What are the things we want to be active in at all times? So our vision statement, remember, a vision is not a description of what you are. A vision is your, what you are aspiring to be. You know, here is what we desire to be, and that is a vibrant community of people who are being changed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and boldly following God into the world. Right? That is, that, this is what we want to be as a community. Then our mission statement, and what areas do we want to be active in that help us to accomplish this and move towards this vision we have as a community? We've We've identified four things we want to be active in. We want to be actively engaging with God and his word, fostering a caring community of disciples of Jesus, bringing God's healing to our hurting world, and inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. And we're going to be talking about these four different things. Today, we're talking about that number two fostering a caring community of disciples of Jesus. Um, we're going to talk initially what, what we see in Hebrews 10, what we read earlier about the way the, how does the gospel really connect into community? How do these two things relate? What do we see in Hebrews 10 that really connects these two, two things in the context of it? And talk then a little bit more about what does it mean? What are you looking for in a church community? And the things which actually work against it in our society currently. And finally, what is it that makes a Christian community distinctive? How does it look different just from any old community and the kind of any old context which would help us to you know, build relationships and flourish, as the Harvard study would say? What's distinctive about this? So, first the Harvard study, community in general, and some of the things which work against it, and what makes a Christian a distinctive Christian community? So Starting in Hebrews 10. So the book of Hebrews, as the name implies, is largely believed oftentimes to be written to Jewish believers in Jesus at that time, Hebrews. And the reason that is is because it uses so much Old Testament pictures. You know, um, it uses so much Old Testament imagery, sets so much in the temple itself, and shows how Jesus uniquely fulfills these. Now these things are actually pointing to Jesus and how actually you, you need to believe, be following Jesus, not following those is one of the big problems. You know, how much greater is what the new covenant is that's happened through Jesus? And it's comparing these things perpetually. Um, I don't think it's just to Jewish believers, by the way. I think, you know, the early churches were largely, you know, were all birthed, what they would call with God-fears. And God-fears was the term... uh, for people who were not Jewish, who came al- alongside synagogues. This is before the time of Jesus. They would come alongside, and they would want to worship the God of Israel and saw him as the true God. And when G- you know when the people preached the gospel initially, that was the crew that just it was almost the birthing of the churches in each of the cities. And so I think they were very steeped in Old Testament, I guess, is, but it doesn't really matter what we're talking about. But I think it's interesting, don't you? Yeah. Um, the audience of your letters. Uh, but the reason I, I say this is because if you want to understand the picture here in Hebrews 10, you've got to see that he has the context of the temple practice in mind, which is the bottom line of that. And he says, you know, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and he is referring to the temple, where we have a holy place and a most holy place, the holy of holies, which was the dwelling place of God, you know, and where the ark of the covenant was, and no one could ever go into that place, so they would be killed. They came in, coming in the very presence of God, and um, except one day, the high priest with a special sacrifice. And he says, now through what Jesus has accomplished on, through the death and resurrection, through his death on the cross, now all of us can enter into that most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the blood of the life of Jesus, basically is what I was saying, enables us now to be able to go into the holy place and into the very presence of God. An amazing statement. He says, by a new and living way, opened to us through the curtain. The curtain, right, which was the thing that uh, the, separated the holy, most holy place from the holy place. And it says that, remember on the cro- when Jesus was on the cross, that was ripped top to bottom. Access to God now possible through him. And it says, and that is his, it is his body, which is the new curtain, which was essentially torn, making access to God. And it says, now we have a great high priest over the house of God. And the house of God, I mean you understand one of the large things that Hebrews is picking up, is this whole temple system is actually a picture and a shadow of what's actually happening in heaven. Heaven's the reality. The temple system is a picture. You can imagine one of the great purposes that got like a biblical revelation: why all these sacrifices and all these weird laws and all that? They essentially were taking the realities of heaven and putting them into things that were understood and used in the culture at the time, and they structured the whole thing so that you would understand who God is, what He desires, how we can come, how we can access Him. Right? This is the key idea, right? And so, um, and the high priest, right? What was the role of the high priest? The high priest essentially. And the, the priest would connect a sinful people to a holy God through a sacrifice and bring these together and it says ultimately that's picturing what Jesus does through the sacrifice of Himself that He can bring together a holy God and a sinful people, right? This is the great gospel message. And what you'll see here in this first line is you see words like therefore, since, because what's happening in Hebrews ten. He's essentially explained how Jesus has brought in the New Covenant, all he's done in the first 10 chapters, and now he's pivoting to the giant, so what, for the rest of the letter. Therefore, since all this has been happening, what are the implications for us? And So what's the first implication, it says? Implication number one, let us draw near to God. You know, this is our first mission thing, right? Actively engage with God. God has made access possible. We can go into the very holy place of God through what Jesus has done. So therefore, what do you do? Go in. (laughs) You know, go, you know, draw near to God, which is also like, is the, is also even sacrificial language. You know, when you would go forward in your offering, coming to where God is. Let us draw near to God. He's made it possible that we can know him, that we can follow him. Come. Come. Come to God, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled, again, that's like sacrificial language, the blood of the, the sacrifice like sprinkled on it, symbolically cleansing it. The blood of Jesus has sprinkled us and cleansed us. So we don't have a guilty conscience. you are a sinful people, but you are made clean through what Jesus has done. You can enter now into the presence of God, holy and without guilt or shame having our bodies washed with pure water, and do what then? And number two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And here you start to understand the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, isn't it? What's happening? People are swerving. People are getting unstable. They're steady. This is a group of people who have come to Jesus, have believed in him, and now all the pressures of the world are starting to make them go aside. And he's saying, don't, hold firm, hold firm, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. He who promised is faithful. God will be faithful. Stay firm, draw near to him. And then thirdly, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Again, you start to see what's happening here. People are beginning to stop coming into the midst of the fellowship of believers, and they're starting to scatter to the side, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So what you see here, I mean, the one another meeting together, you see the natural context of the gospel is what? A community of people. It is the obvious, it is the presumed context that the believers are coming together. And this is not just an inference from you know one verse in hebrews we say oh there's a community right all the letters of the new testament are written what to the communities that have gathered in this place and gathered in this place and gathered in this place you know the assumption is that people are gathering together in community as followers of jesus and uh, paul even like likens it to explain it he calls in the book of corinthians he says uh, it's it's like a body you know that you're gathering together, and, and, he, and he says, "You see, everybody is actually has different gifts and different abilities, right?" This is beautiful. Isn't it? I used to have that ring, and I stopped that ring. I'd have a new one. Actually, actually, I didn't. My wife changed my ring. She didn't like my <laughs> ring. And, um, and I, it took me a while to even recognize my own ring after that. I'd miss it, but I'm going to get back on. I'm, I'm back on topic. Community, right, so the idea of, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's, like, it's always terrible when we preach without notes, you know, and then you go off astray, and then you're like, in, in bad shape. Um, Paul, Paul likens the body of Christ as, as a body, and the idea is that the reason, one of the reasons we're in community is that everybody has different gifts and abilities, right, and different stations in life. And you all have, you're not all the same because oftentimes we're in a culture, right, which is massively competitive, right? And everybody has their own little gifts and we want all the gifts for ourselves. We want to be as, as you know, perfect as we can and com- essentially compete. He goes, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You're supposed to be different. And you fit together as a body. You know, it's almost like everybody's a piece of a jigsaw puzzle and you are perfectly that piece. You're not all the pieces. And it looks beautiful when you all fit together. He says, this is how the body works. In fact, he said, this is a key line. To each one is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy, we're all one spirit, but each is different manifest. And what's it for? The common good. Here's our word community, right? Common. What you have is for others. Simple, right? You've been given gifts, abilities. What God has given you is for the betterment of of others that may seem obvious right i mean who argues that community is not important who really argues this but is this really what our culture kind of teaches us (laughs) our culture our culture is very concerned with ourselves you know what we have is for us it's not just wealth it's it's all skill. but we are we live in an obsessively individualistic society don't we we, we are so, we are even taught that it's not even like this crazily self-orientation, that self-orientation is taught as wisdom now. You know, that it's like you're supposed to be thinking about all your relationships. What's it doing for you, right? What, what is this relationship? What is that thing? Is, is that work good for you? Is, is that community good for you? What's it, you know, what's it doing for you? Because the flourishing of yourself is what's most important, right? Talk about self-care, right? What a wonderful word, right? What's the idea of, proper idea of self-care? Well you want to be you want to steward yourself so that you can be valuable to the common good right if you don't sleep how are you going to use the gifts god has given you right right god has given you gifts to help others if you don't eat and you don't sleep you can't serve but now it's self care is an end in itself right care for the self because it's the self and even all the habits right you know we i i hate but this is this is i don't want to make my own little issues biblical, but I will, I will. Um, You know, uh, you know, like, like everyone in their little pods, right? You know, your your thing. So what are you essentially doing? I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to in this moment. I want my reality to be the way I want it to be. I don't, I'm not going to subject myself to everyone else's reality and what I would hear from others. I want mine. And I want my own little car, my own little house, my own little job, because everything needs to be exactly the way I need it to be. I want my life. And then you start to view every one of your relationships. What's it doing for me? What's this doing for me? And you think Christians are, uh, you know, um, immune to this? How many walk into churches going, let's see, what what, will this church do for me? Are they going to meet my needs? I have all these kind of needs. Can this do something for me? You think, of, of all people, Christians should realize, no, it's about, you walk into a community saying, what can what can I do for this community? How can I take the gifts and the abilities and the stations God's given me and serve others with it? Can I do that? And that that's a good question to ask when you walk into a church. Will I be able to give what God has given me in here? That's actually a better question than saying, what do I get from this place? What can I give to this place? You know, that's really how it's supposed to operate. And um, and when you think about what's a key uh, thing as, as a church and a community, we want to build up this kind of community where people aren't all coming, you're not all looking for yourself. Oh, by the way, what happens when you do all that? I just jumped a little bit in my mind. Uh, it's not, because sometimes you can feel, oh, I feel guilty about being so individualistic, right? Well, let me, does it practically work? What's the fruit of a life thoroughly oriented around your own needs and your own things? So viewing every single relationship and everything you have and, you know, the, the, the lie of the culture saying, have all these different things in your life to make sure that you have all the people in your life that are rotating around you and meeting every one of your needs and cares, and that's how you set up your entire life for the flourishing of yourself. What do you end up with? Misery. What do we have? An epidemic of loneliness. People are so isolated. You're surrounded by people in massive proximity to yourself, and everyone is utterly isolated, utterly alone, utterly miserable. It doesn't work. I mean, it's not surprising, logically, right? If everyone wants the entire world to rotate around them, <laughs> it doesn't actually work, right? You know? Instead, everyone's little world just becomes incredibly small because that's the only thing you can have rotate around you. And what happens when you have your little life rotating around you? You, are utterly, you can't even connect with anyone else because the second you have a relationship, what happens? The rotation stops. It kinks, right? <laughs> it doesn't work, right? You have to suddenly rotate around someone else but that's how it's supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be giving towards other. It doesn't work. You end up in despair and depression and, I mean, isolated. And so a community of, you know, a church community is supposed to be a redemptive thing, especially in today's culture, right? To almost redeem ourselves from the radical self-orientation that leads to despair and loneliness. You know, we want to have a community that creates a context by which people can have relationships, and give to one another, and change the orientation of their lives. It's funny, one of the definitions I've, I read of loneliness, one of the questions they ask in some of these studies now is they say, in the middle of the night, if you have a massive crisis, do you have someone to call? That's like the question, one of these questions they ask. You know, you think, boy, want to, you know, Now I'm not saying you have that automatically when you join a church. Oh, I got the pastor's phone. No, that's not. No. Um, <laughs> that's not one of the services we offer. All right. But you can. You can. No, I don't want to tell you you can't. You can, please do call, but but circle around. All right. But the idea is we want to create a context by which real community community can happen in which you can actually you yeah, know, you're saying you, you had a bat in your house. She called me when she, when Claire first came to the church, Joseph was out of town. I wasn't going to bring this, Claire. You just said it. She calls me and says, I have a bat. So I came over with a tennis racket. We're trying to go for the bat in the thing. You know, it was, it's a great moment. It was, you know, I thought this is on my, it's on my resume now. You know, bat chasing, one of the, we failed to. And Joseph came there, he got the bat out. I just, you know. You got, you got. You see, you have to use your gifts. I had no no manifestation of the Holy Spirit of bat chasing in my uh, in my life. It was uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> Context for loneliness, right? Um, right. There we are. This is ugly, folks. I was praying a lot before this service. I thought I'm in trouble today. Um, <laughs> is that what you were thinking about, Claire? That's totally what I was thinking about. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny! Um, but to create a context by which you can have relationships, so you do have someone you can call. You know the, the, the importance of building a redemptive and, as you mentioned, a caring community. You know that that is such. A, you know that is one of a key objective. That we're a place where you you do use your gifts and abilities on and, and we work it all together that those who are discouraged can be encouraged by others, and when you're down, someone else can lift you up, and you can lift other ones down. When people are ill or in harm, you know, people come alongside of you. We pray for one another. We care for one I, I remember uh, Kelly mentioned, I can, I think she has told this story a number of times, but I thought it's just, you know, when she came, was newly on staff, and she was doing, they were doing a big, like, renovation in their house, and Suddenly the huge storm hit, the top went off, <laughs> the house and rain is going to go all in the house. You know, four guys from the church were over there like, a was it, 10 or 11 o'clock at night batting it down, you know? And it's not just that they were willing to do that to help, it's because the four of them had a relationship for being like in a small group or community group, They, you know, a context by which they could form relationships that they could know one another and then all come and do it. So it all kind of works together, like community groups, small groups, they're all like contexts by which you can hopefully, and when we desire that people really have relationships in the midst of this lonely, hard world, we need them. Remember, uh, and do you mind if I share? I mean, Ashley, you know, they joined the church fairly, or not even joined, had began attending it a couple times, and you know, she went, and Ashley went to surgery, and she was surprised, as were well, I think you said a friend was surprised as well, that people started bringing over meals, you know, and caring for that way. And It's like, wow, I don't, I don't even know these folks, but it wasn't like, um, but that should be like a normal thing, right? you know, but about what do you want to do as a church? That should be, like, you know, priority one. When Jeannie says, you know, we have a big list of people on those meals, think that, that we should have that. People should all sign up for that. And that should just be a normal thing, right? Oh, this person's hurting. They're, they've given, you know, someone gave birth, or they're in the hospital, or they're grieving or mourning. What's the natural thing a caring community does? Just provide for you. You know, and then when I'm hurting, we receive it too. And it's just the, it's the way it works. And that's the kind of community you want to have. Right? That's what you, you want to, and, and, and you can't force it. I'm not saying, oh, we're, we are that, but that is what you're looking towards. You're think about what you want to be doing. Well, how do you want to be operating? You want to be operating because in this world that we have a place where people care for one another in the midst of it. That no one's suffering alone. You know, this world's hard. We need people. And also, we have a culture which is telling us the opposite. That the path to freedom and the path to the joy is self-orientation. That's a giant lie. But is that sufficiently what we're looking for as a church? right? Actually, our, to remind you, our, our um, mission statement is not to foster a caring community. It's to foster a caring community of disciples of Jesus. It's distinctive. So what characterizes that distinctive community? You know, going back to Hebrews, right? I think it says, "Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful." Let us consider we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Now, when they're giving up meeting together, in this context, the chances are they're not becoming isolated people, are they? Actually, in the in the Greek, even their meeting together may be implied uh, synagogues. You know, the people are leaving those things. There's, it's, it's been very intense to be in a believing community, and there's a lot of opposition, and they're just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to settle off in other communities. So they're not actually not alone. He's exhorting them now to be in the distinctly Christian community, right? The community of believers. Why? Well, it goes, there you're able to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It is so that you can hold to your hope, <laughs> Unswervingly, you know it is a it is a place of worship. You gather because you on your own on your own you will peter away. We need to actually in that word spur one another on. That's not a synonym in the Greek for encourage, by the way. To spur, it's a word provoke. <laughs> you know it is like jamming one another towards love and good deeds. That we need to jam one another to live out this faith that we. That we need to hold to unswervingly to be able to care for one another and the temptation to um to begin to disperse is ever before us you know we um and and you think about how even like here we're gathered in worship right we're able to together hear from the word of god we're able together here to encourage one another to live the lives we want to you know to to live out lives for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find praising God way easier when all these people with musical gifts and singing are helping me to sing, and I am lifted up like that. When I hear Andy pray, I'm being moved to pray and even learning how to pray as I hear those things. You know, we hear the Word of God where it's hard to understand these things on your own. You need these contexts. It's not simply a caring context, which it is as well, but it's also context which encourages us in our in our faith, to walk with him. You think about the kind of community, and also what's, what's unique about a community which is centered on Jesus and where the community of believers is supposed to be the body of Christ, being his one spirit, like Jesus is being manifested in here. Uh, this is a place that's supposed to be geared then towards being God's you know, hands and feet out in the world, towards one another. And that's also, what is that kind of community is that, Right? It's not a you know we live in a culture as well that part of this whole individual individual individuality if you want to call it. What are people's communities? Often little affinity groups, you know, where a bunch of people think exactly the same way and talk exactly the same way. And it's like no, 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 On the body of Christ. We can have people of radical differences, hold together because of what Jesus has done for us. We're a place of grace that, you know, we're, you know, we've received grace from God, and we can show grace to one another. We've been forgiven. We can forgive one another. And we're in a community that's not about itself ever. You're not like looking to see, oh, what are some valuable pieces we can add to our community? No, you're thinking, who are the people who are hurting, who can't add to your community, who aren't helping? You know, that's part of the idea that we are in the hands of Jesus, that we want to be gathering together the hurting, you know, the opportunity. You know, we're, we're, we're thankful for an opportunity to give and bless and be Jesus' hands in this world. It's a very different community. You know, Jesus wants our community a place of worship, a place where his hands are extended into the world, a place where his love is known, a community where people are what? Being changed by Jesus. This is our distinctive community, a community of people who are being empowered by the Holy Spirit and who are boldly following God into the world. That's what it means to be a caring community of disciples of Jesus. That's what characterizes us. And we understand that, you know, and this doesn't mean this is the only community you should be part of, because Jesus actually is not trying to separate us out of the world, right? You're still supposed to be involved in your other communities. You know, your school, your sports, your, your work community, your localized community, whatever it is. But you don't forsake the gathering of the believers, the importance of that community, because that's what keeps the, you know, the compassed face north. You know, this is the community which helps you hold unswervingly to this hope and to what Jesus has done for us. It's a people that help you to enter into the very presence of God and to follow him and to know him and to be changed by him. So let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, and let us not forsake the gathering together as some in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, uh, Lord, we do want to draw near to you, Lord. How stunning it is that you say that uh, We can enter the most holy place that we can have confidence and lord we want to praise you and give you thanks and worship you lord and help lord we we confess even as i think andy prayed earlier we confess that we so often think of our gifts abilities and stations Lord, as things that are just, just supposed to better our lives lord help us to see that all that we have and all that we are are to bless others Lord, help us to be the kind, that kind of community, Lord, where uh, we are looking to bless one another. Lord, that we are looking to care for one another. Uh, a community where we worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, where you dwell and you are pleased to dwell. And pleased to show yourself to this world through us. We bless you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name.